0: Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunstreet. Dunnstreet is a campaign agency that specialises in community organising. We work with people that want to build power to make the world a better place, including community-based organisations, trade unions, progressive businesses and social democratic parties across the globe. We develop community engagement strategies that win campaigns both big and small. We train engagement staff, volunteers in the Gantz framework of leadership, organising and action, and we help folks craft their own story through the practice of public narrative that seeks to connect people through their shared values and moves them to act together. And if you want to create change in your community in 2024, then hit us up at dunstreet.com.au. Today's episode is also brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. For over 100 years, Morris Blackburn have been extending access to justice for everyday Australians through their advocacy and campaign work, and uh, they need your help. Uh, They have a job opportunity for a social media communicated with a flair for progressive campaigning. Uh, the job is based in either their Melbourne or their Brisbane office in their marketing and comms team. And for more information, go to morrisblackburn.com.au slash careers. And finally, today's episode is brought to you by SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust, lists that are up to date, phone banks that change minds, emails that drive donations, events that will energise the community both online and offline, and text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. And to find out more, just visit their website, which is swiftfoxcrm.com, to win your next campaign. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast that drops every Friday and dives into the progressive campaign's of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad and a slight uh deviation from our traditional programming today we're going to be talking to our pop culture correspondent uh tess farrell to talk about the ascendancy of taylor swift um and her um her rise and also the politics of taylor swift and how it is um impacting the 2024 US presidential election. It is absolutely freaking out the Republicans that if she comes out and endorses Joe Biden and the Democrats are obviously courting her support in the lead up to this critical uh, general election in November. So Tess is going to be on the show. She's touring this week, not Tess, Taylor Swift is. So we just thought we'd have a bit of fun and have a bit of chat about uh, Taylor Swift uh, for all of those uh, Swifties out there. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please give us five stars. And leave us a review uh, on Apple Podcasts when you're done listening. And for all the updates, follow Dunn Street on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All right, let's get to today's episode. We are taping this one on a Thursday evening on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. And... Uh, we're departing slightly from our usual subject matter, but we, it is still grounded in politics. Um, I, I've been, this has been on my mind now for two or three months as this sort of Taylor Swift momentum builds and builds and builds as we get closer and closer to uh, her tour here in Australia. And I keep on asking myself a whole bunch of questions about the Taylor Swift phenomenon. And then when it started to appear in the New York Times consistently in the politics section, I thought, okay, now we can do a podcast on this now because this has now moved into the politics world and therefore we can talk about it. But I have so many questions about the ascendancy of Taylor Swift. And to help me do that, I've reached out to our regular pop culture uh, correspondent. Uh, She normally does our end-of-year break, end-of-year sort of wrap of pop culture uh, over the summer break so folks can work out what to listen to or watch or um, uh, or stream. But I've called her out of retirement uh, to come on the show today to help me understand the phenomenon that is Taylor Swift. Tess Farrell, welcome back to Socially Democratic.
1: Thank you so much, Stephen. It's really nice to be back uh, so soon. I didn't think I'd get the call up for another 12 months and here I am, an emergency. Taylor Swift meeting.
0: It is. It actually is, isn't it? Um, do you, would you refer to yourself as a Swifty? Uh,
1: look, I think there are levels of Swifty, right? I, I am a Swifty in the sense that I have loved and listened to her music since 2008, you know, relatively early on in her career. Um, but she's not I'm not so ingrained as a Swifty that I'm going onto her ex-boyfriend's Instagram account and like saying, die, die. Um, I won't follow her blindly, um, but I do love her music. So I am very much so um, a Swifty, I think, in that sense.
0: D- define a Swifty. What, what is the caricature of a, that someone would qualify as a Swifty?
1: Oh, look, there are Swifties all around the world. Um, The real sort of test is just how dedicated you are to her, how much you know about her, if you're going to her tours, um, you're online, you're consuming everything that she does, and you will go into bat for her at every opportunity. She can do no wrong to you. So that's why I kind of, I'm not sure if I'm a solid 100% Swiftie, um, because you know I'm not just gonna exempt her from from particular things just because she's Taylor Swift. But there are people that live and breathe her. So there are Instagram accounts now that follow her whole tour. You've got girls in Canada waking up at 3 a.m. to document her whole tour while she's in Japan or in Australia um, before they go about their day and do their work um, or go to their jobs. So. Those are real Swifties, I think.
0: Wow. Okay. That's fantastic. (laughs) It's kind of like the modern version of Beatlemania, I guess, in some respects for the boomers listening to uh, the show. They go, I remember that. Um, Okay. (laughs) Let's, what I want to do is we're going to talk about the politics of Taylor Swift in a moment, but before we do, I think it's important to set some context. And the first question I want to get my head around is, is, um, I mean, how big, how in, just to reaffirm for me, she is the most influential musician or artist of this current era, pun intended. There, would that be fair to say, right? Like I made mean, ten years ago, Beyonce was kind of like you know Queen B, and I feel like there's been a mantle that's been passed. She's the clear sort of number one in, in pop music now. Is that would that be right?
1: Yeah, she is an international superstar. I think she's actually taken the music industry into completely new heights which is a pun for um, Swifties who know that her boyfriend's podcast is called New Heights. Um, Is she the most popular artist of my time? Yes. Is she the most influential? It depends how you define influential, but um, I think I can break it down in a couple of stats, which I think people appreciate if you want them. Totally. Okay. So according to a morning consult poll from March last year, 53% of American adults said they were fans of Swift and 16% identified as avid fans of the star.
0: Wow. Um, That's more than half the population of the United mm -hmm. States, of 340 million people.
1: uh Uh-huh. She has 14 Grammys. She's the only artist ever to win Album of the Year four times. So Frank Sinatra won Album of the Year three times. So did Stevie Wonder. Adele only has two Album of the Year Grammys. In 2023, Taylor was the most streamed artist on Spotify, 26.1 billion streams globally in just the one year, and uh, that earned her about $100 million. She has 281 million Instagram followers. She's sold out stadium shows all across the world several times over. The Errors Tour is finally coming to Australia this week. That tour alone... 4.3 million tickets, performing to about 72,000 people each show. She's got three shows in Melbourne. Um, And the merch, the merchandise alone, selling that during her tour, that's worth 200 200 million. Mm. Four million Australians tried to buy tickets last year and there were only 450,000 tickets. Bruce Springsteen, the boss, and Beyonce also toured last year. And the Eras tour earned more money than those two tours combined, Beyonce and Bruce Springsteen. She's wow. 34 and Forbes estimates her net worth as $1.1 $1. $1 So she's not just financially successful. She's received critical, critical acclaim at the Grammys and uh, she's beloved by fans. I just, I can't think of another artist that has done what she has.
0: That's a great uh, context setter, actually, uh, to prove that she's not just a successful musician with all of those Grammys that she's won, but she's also incredibly successful at business as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the, the question, and I've written this question in in the show notes about 30 different ways, and I think it's just probably easier just to put it one way. Point out how she went from being a, um, you know, a country Musician, you know, born out of West Philadelphia, you know, born out of West Reading in Pennsylvania, uh, made roots in Tennessee. Successful career in the country music uh, genre makes this shift to pop, and then all of a sudden transcends into this sort of pop culture phenomenon. Where, Where are the moments along this journey for her? Can you say, ah, that's where you can see that it was she was becoming more than just. Uh, an artist?
1: I think anyone who's under the impression that her success or popularity happened by accident is wrong. You know, and it, it seems right now like it's all of a sudden, but it, you know, it's not really. She's been releasing music for almost two decades. She wasn't plucked from obscurity on, you know, from a hay barrel on a farm. She always wanted to be a singer, she always wanted to be a performer, she always wanted to be famous. And growing up, her musical influences were Shania Twain, Faith Hill, The Chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks. Um, And to a young girl in Pennsylvania, she was like, I've got to move to Nashville. That's how I do it. That's how I become famous. And so her parents um, were privileged enough and financially stable enough to be able to say, okay, like we're going to move our whole family from Pennsylvania to Tennessee, the home of country music, so she could pursue music. Um, Her dad, Scott, was a stockbroker and her mother, Andrea, was a marketing manager. So she's coming from quite a well-off family. Her mother was actually an opera singer. Mm -hmm. Um, It was all pretty deliberate. Once she got to Tennessee, she would cold call labels, she'd perform at local shopping malls until eventually she got a record deal at 15 in 2005. And so you're right, her first album was very country. Like Tim McGraw was one of her first released singles, Two Drops on My Guitar, and then Fearless, her second album was con- pop country, they call mm. it.
0: Um, and I think that's where I first discovered it because one of her singles, which is um I, I I've forgotten now the name of it. The, the, I, I can imagine it by the film clip. It's the one where uh, she's um, in love with the guy that's the quarterback in the football team and she also plays an alter ego character as well. What's that, what's that song? You Belong um, With Me? Yeah, that one.
1: Yeah. Um, Which is very
0: country, right? It is, you're right, it's country pop, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's country pop. She won, you know, Country Music Awards, um, The Rising Star. At Fearless, her second album, won country album of the year, I'm pretty sure, the year it came out. Um, it was very much country. But then when Love Story came out, I think Love Story was her first worldwide hit. It was before You Belong With Me, I think. Mm-hmm. And it just found an audience commercially across the globe and ever since then her music has been more pop than country and she's steadily been releasing music um, ever since. I think probably one of the key things to remember about Tela Swift is she was one of the first female artists to become popular alongside the rise of social media. So she had MySpace, she had a Tumblr, she built a loyal fan base pretty early on through social media, releasing, you know, music on MySpace before it actually got officially released. She has always engaged with her fans on a very personal level um, in a way that artists couldn't do before, like Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, Britney Spears, absolutely iconic, but they weren't sharing their lives on TikTok or mm replying to their fans on, on Tumblr. And everything she does is for her fans. Her marketing around her albums is really incredible. She hypes them up and just builds momentum um, with really great marketing campaigns. But I think fundamentally when it when it comes down to it, her success is really from her storytelling, like the lyrics in her music. She's, she writes about universal experiences for women, she writes her own songs and a lot of artists don't. Mm. Um, I think it was a mix of things, right? She knew how to use social media. She was a natural teen idol. She was this beautiful blonde teenager. She had a good marketing strategy from the beginning. Her loyal fan base um, really stood by her, regularly releasing music, touring relentlessly. Um, but none of that success that she has now would be possible without her personal songwriting.
0: You know, listening to you there, there are some some parallels between that and community organising because you need to be a good storyteller in community organising. You need to put your constituency first, and it sounds like the relationship that she's built between herself and her fans in building the foundation of her success was critical. Um, organising isn't marketing, but obviously she's using the tools that are available to her that you talked about at the time to maintain that honest um, and... Um, Authentic connection that she has with her um, with her audience seems pretty crucial, um, and that's very similar to you know what we need to do in organising as well, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, I want to like there was something maybe it was like I can't even remember what it was. It was the way that she trans. How, how did she be? How do you how do you see um, how Taylor managed to transcend different? generations because my cousin is my age without giving away her age but most people know I'm much older and uh maybe five six seven eight years ago I was she heard me playing a Taylor Swift song in the car and she said oh I love Taylor and I said no, I didn't, wouldn't pick, pick you as a Taylor Swift fan and she said oh I love Taylor Swift and I said why and I said because she speaks to me and I was that struck me. I went, "Wow! If you really like, she genuinely likes Taylor Swift." And I just assumed at that point Taylor Swift was like the, was just the um, the domain of you know teeny bop, teeny boppers or well, you know teenagers and maybe early twenties. But that, that isn't the case. How did the hell this happen? How did we discover that actually? You know, she has got a fan base that isn't just young girls, but it is actually quite reasonably diverse across age brackets.
1: Well, I hate to harp on about how much. Of a fabulous storyteller and songwriter Taylor is, but she really is a masterclass in storytelling, and her lyrics are universal to women and girls everywhere. You know, like everyone has a story about how they were bullied in high school or left out of the group. Everyone has a story about getting their heart broken or let down. Everyone, every girl has daydreamed about a cute boy or girl, like in high school an experience with a sick loved one or feeling like they didn't belong. So she takes universal human experiences and she makes them shiny and glittery and catchy and beautiful, even if they might be, you know, sad or tragic. Um, And I think one of the loveliest things about the Errors Tour is seeing so many women and girls come together and see that we're not alone in our experiences. Um, And on a personal level for me, I feel really sort of validated by her music like it's okay to feel your feelings it's okay to feel sad or scared or angry to feel love or excitement um you're allowed to be silly and giddy but also serious and flawed like girls and women just we're told all the time that we're too emotional we're too loud we like stupid things like clothes and sequins we talk too much we overthink too much and yet here is a woman now um who started writing her her own songs in her diary when she was a kid. And those songs and those feelings are selling out stadiums all around the world, making her a billionaire. So I think for me, I look at Taylor Swift and I think it's okay to be vulnerable. You can be emotional, you can be a woman and you can be successful. And um, a lot of people say that the reason why it transcends generations is because it is that journey from girlhood To womanhood, right? Like her fans who started out with her back in the day when they were teenagers, they're 30 now. They're getting married. They're having kids, but they love Taylor's music at the beginning and they have grown up with her. And I think, um, you know, the point of your cousin really connecting with the music is um, there's plenty of people who are 40 or older who are also getting into Taylor Swift later in life because their kids are into it because... Mm. Um, she 's still so popular and she 's still releasing music really regularly
0: um, my follow-up question is 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 uh, i need to remember this just to take away just to the point you just said there I, in the city today my partner pointed out to me today looking around the city, there were lots of mothers walking around with their daughters, and I think they 're all come from interstate because they obviously they 're in a city that she 's not touring. Is it just Melbourne and Sydney that she's playing in? Is she doing Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth? Or? No,
1: no, much too um, much. I feel really bad for, you know, people living in other states. But, yes, she's just doing three shows in Melbourne and three shows in Sydney. And
0: right, so okay. there will be
1: a lot of people coming to Melbourne. I've got friends flying in from Adelaide, from Perth, coming with groups, groups of people, like groups of women. Um, you know, my cousin who's 15 is coming, my friend who's 31 is coming. It's, it's a really broad spectrum. And yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and that, to that point, the, even today, since so we're recording this one on a Thursday, this episode will be up tomorrow, so, and the show, show's on Saturday, Sunday, Monday?
1: Friday. Which? It starts tomorrow.
0: Oh, it starts tomorrow. Okay, right. The city's starting to get a bit of a, like, grand final weekend vibe. Like.
1: Well, it, the gig is at the MCG. It is sold out. It pretty much is. It is the grand final of music. Um, And look, you know, I heard that cities in the US were begging Taylor Swift to come because it injected so much into their local economy, right? People coming, staying, um, putting money back into the local economy. So... um, yeah, it's, it's a huge event um, walking around the city today. I saw a lot of people in areas, in tours, T-shirts. Um, and, yeah, I love the connections between sisters, friends, female friendship, but I also have a bit of a soft spot for um, the dads taking their daughters. Um, <laughs> Good on AFL on. hero Brendan Favola, I think, was making friendship braces with his daughters to take to, to the gig. So, like, if Fev's doing it, like, the whole world is doing it, right? Um, yeah. it's, it's huge.
0: That's, that's beautiful. Okay, so back to the point you were mar- asking before, sorry, back to the point that you were talking about before, Stephen, use your words, was there uh, a particular album or albums in which you saw her, um, her songwriting mature, in which... Because I, I you know I don't know a lot of the earlier stuff, to be honest, I just know all of her, her singles basically, but it, you know, and I don't even know what albums are on, but there was a point there where you started to hear the songs and go oh there's some there's some depth in that songwriting, um and obviously, you know you talked before about how important it is, but I'm just wondering is there is there any particular album where you started to see this sort of maturity or this shift in her in the way that she wrote and told stories? <sighs>
1: Yeah, I think 1989, um, which I think came out in, let me see, Uh, 2014 and that was a really huge pop album um, where it definitely started to steer away from high school boys and it started to take on sort of much more meaning. Um, the lyrics were a bit, you know, they were deeper. Mm. So there was 1989 and then um, probably Folklore as well, which is 2020. The album she released uh, during the pandemic was a complete departure. It was way more folk than um, sort of, you know, pop music, upbeat pop music as well. Um, So those were two crucial moments, I think, where she kind of left her old self behind but with every album like many female artists she kind of left her old self behind and became something new to coincide with the album. Because
0: a lot of the uh, commentary about her in the mainstream media tends to lean into the fact that she writes a lot of songs about her past boyfriends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It can't be more than just I I don't know if you want to stick up for her here and say no she's more than just that but that seems to be the stuff that kind of got through to my moronic brain in not consuming too much pop culture news about taylor swift but it was always you know you don't want to go out with taylor swift because within the next album you're going to get an, you're going to get a song written about her do you care to respond to that criticism or that observation to say
1: i mean she gets really mad about that because you know she kind of bit back and's like no one talks about how ed sheeran sings about his relationships right like what's wrong with singing about your relationships Everyone, everyone does, right? Like the Beatles sang about women. Um, so she thinks that sort of criticism is unfair. And certainly if you have dated Taylor Swift, the Swifties are coming for you, so you should, you should beware. Um, but she's, you know, she's never come out and said it. And, in fact, um, when she re-released a song uh, that her fans assumed was about John Mayer, the artist, because the song is called Dear John, Mm -hmm. she actually made a public plea to say, hey, this is old music, I'm re-releasing it, please do not go after John Mayer. Um, It's, you know, it's something that happened, you know, it's a song from ages ago, you know, I'm living in the present. So she doesn't tell her fans to go after um, her ex-boyfriends and, you know, it's all speculation. We do it to ourselves.
0: And isn't it? Don't the Swifties look for hidden meanings in a lot of the lyrics as well, which I think she's made reference to in one of her most recent songs off the most recent album or something.
1: Oh, for sure. Taylor Swift is famous for leaving little Easter eggs, you know, little little hints. Um, she really is a great performer in that way. She really, she even says in her documentary um, Miss Americana that you know they say you stay the age you are when you turn famous. Right? Like she talks about actually not really growing up all that much until she was later in her twenties, um, and so yeah, she would she leaves little secret things in her. She used to leave them in her CDs and her lyrics. You know, people just they go off with um, theories about about what they are, and she inflames it. That's a whole. That's part of her success, part of the marketing strategy. She wants people to talk about what she's up to.
0: Good segue, there. I actually want to ask you about the marketing. Um, th- how much of her success, uh, I get a sense from what I've read that a lot of the ideas are generated by her in terms of her business strategy. Uh, um, I mean, how much is it down to her? How much is it to the team around her? Can you give me some examples of where she's done some incredibly smart, sassy moves that have built, that has led to her success?
1: Yeah, look, I don't think she could have gotten to where she is without her own Sort of creative edge and, and intuition, but she certainly does have a huge team. Um, her parents, I think, are her business managers too, um, and you know they had have quite a lot of experience running sort of businesses. So her publicist is with her almost twenty four seven. She's surrounded herself with you know a really great team, and it's you know it's clear to everyone that she has. A strategy in place for her whole life, really, because everything that she does is so heavily scrutinized. You know, nothing is done by accident. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a mix of a mix of both. She has a great team, and she also has, um, you know, that star quality, and she knows what's going to work. I mean, if you think about some of the things that she's done to demonstrate that she's been successful, that she's sort of successful in a business sense. The Eras tour sold out everywhere. People were, you know, selling their kidneys to get tickets. So when she couldn't put on more shows, you know, she decided to take the film and release, sorry, take the show and release it in cinemas. And so she took the whole tour so you could go, people who couldn't get tickets to her show would go to the cinema and watch it, you know, and kind of get a feel and kind of experience it as it was in in a stadium. So, yeah, she's very smart. She's give very, us very
0: the smart. backstory for those that don't, aren't familiar with this, the re-recording of her music following a dispute. Um, who was the dispute with uh, and uh, what was her response to that?
1: So Taylor... Uh, when she was 15 and she was signed with Big Machine Records, signed a several album deal, right, like which which is really common when you're young to sign on to do six albums. Um, And basically because her music, well, she recorded, um, she she was part of a music label, a record label, and they essentially own her music. They own the master's. Um, of her music and the rights to her music. And so they earned money from it. When she, when her record deal was up, she was going to move and she tried to buy back the masters from Big Machine Records, which was her original label. um, And a guy called Scott Borchetta, who was the executive. And they said no. And it was awful for her because she here she was, you know, this is only a couple of years ago, I think, 2017, 20, 2018. She was leaving her original record label and she was trying to own the rights to her music, which she wrote that music, she produced that music, she sang that music, she taught it. And instead, um, Big Machine sold the masters, the rights to her music, to a man who she despised, who she says bullied him, And she was absolutely outraged. And imagine being that popular, that successful, that talented, but also feeling powerless. Like there was nothing she could do. The company refused to let her buy it back, even though she could afford it. She could afford to buy her own masters back. So instead of being powerless, she said, okay, I'm going to re-record it. So she did. She's worked through re-recording all of the albums that she recorded with Big Machine. And so that's why when you see um, albums that say Taylor's version, that's the re released music because she's re recorded it and you should use, um, you should listen to those versions because the money goes to her, not a guy that she despise, despises. So that was a big, a big moment for her.
0: Let's take a quick break to talk about SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust lists that are up to date, absolutely. Phone banks uh, that can change minds, emails that drive donations, and events that will energize the community online and offline, and text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. And to find out more, go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign. Okay, let's get back to the show she credits someone. another artist that had she'd never spoken to before, but they had um, te- uh, sent out a tweet saying, "Just re-record." Who was that again?
1: It was Kelly Clarkson. She said, "You should re-record all your own music." Um, and it was a real power move. Um, you know, I on a personal note, I listen to all of the Taylor versions um, music instead of instead of the original ones, um, and. It actually gave, it was a great marketing opportunity, right? Um, because we go back and we listen to them um, and we experience what we experience. You know, millennials love nostalgia. So going back and having those albums re released over the last couple of years has been incredible.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, we're at the half hour mark and I want to, I now want to shift into politics. Um, And beginning with, from what I have researched, in the early part of her career, she was very apolitical. Is that right?
1: Yeah, she was. And, you know, rightly so, country music stars have always, I mean, Queen of Country Music, Dolly Parton, never made any comments about politics for her whole career Um, the Chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, they were cancelled for speaking out against George Bush during the war in Afghanistan. You know, that really hurt them um, financially and personally. Like they pulled the Chicks' music from country radio and people were burning their albums. It was awful. So she saw that and obviously didn't want to make any political statements she thought that was best and her family and her business like you know her business managers also sort of advised her not to make any political statements.
0: So when do we see this shift now obviously she's not come out and you know she's a rabid democrat you know at the barricades and running uh, walking on the picket line or anything but she certainly has become far more outspoken on a number of issues. So when do we see this shift and what are the particular issues that she started to sort of speak out on?
1: Yeah, so in 2018 was the first time that she spoke out politically and she backed Democratic candidates um, in Tennessee. And this is, this. they actually filmed discussion about this in her docu- for her documentary, Miss Americana. And she sort of explains that she really regretted not speaking out against Trump in 2016, and in 2018 she um, she came out and she backed the Democratic um, candidates for the first time, which was huge. Um, and she just said that she was sick of seeing the Republican candidates talk about Tennessee values, Christian values, when really they were, you know, they weren't representing women's interests um so that 2018 was the first time that she did that I also think um by 2018 the sort of Me Too movement had really kicked off there was a shift in the way celebrities could talk about certain issues Um, and she herself actually um sort of had her own sort of sexual assault trial so um In 2013, at a meet and greet, a male radio DJ put his hand up her skirt and and groped her while a photo was being taken. And she reported it to his employer and he was fired. And he tried to sue her for defamation and she countersued him for a dollar and she won. And so that's that's quite a powerful message to young women, right, that you should speak up and and people will listen. I'm Mm. noting that she's in a position of extreme power and wealth, um, but, you know, if that, if a young girl saw that and said, well, Taylor Swift spoke up about it, you know, maybe they will too. Like that, that's important. Yeah. Um. So I think by 2018, she kind of had more life experience. And so she was more willing to come out and talk about politics. Uh,
0: and what other particular issues does she, apart from endorsing, obviously she endorsed those two state house or the um, state Democrats uh, running in. In her home state of Tennessee, and obviously Biden as well in 2020, um, what are the issues that she's known for in terms of m- using her own platform to advance?
1: She's been very vocal about gender equality, women's rights, um, and the rights of the um, <clears throat> LGBTIQA plus community. She really. Sort of explained that in, in her documentary, um, her support for equal pay, women's safety, protection against domestic violence, date rape, and stalking. Um, she came out very publicly and supported the Equality Act in 2019, which was the expansion of, of rights to protect people from discrimination based on sex and sexual orientation. Um, aside from that, she also came out and supported the March for Our Lives. Um, protests, so supporting gun reform in 2018 after the Parkland high school shooting. She called out Trump directly during the Black Lives Matters protests in 2020. She's pro-choice too. And she spoke out uh, in in 2022 as well. So, um, you know, she's not a perfect idol but she's certainly been there in in pretty key moments um, in US political sort of history at the moment,
0: lately. And enough to spook the Republicans and conservative commentators, and I'm just going to go through some of the criticism that has come from the right that we've started to see fester uh, on um, platforms like Fox News um, and and more broadly the internet. And I always want to get some, some of your reflections on these things. Um, and part of it probably dates back to September 2023, so last year when she urged fans on Instagram to register to vote and it was for the um, – can't be for the midterms. I'm trying to work out what it was for, why she did that. But anyway. I think and it vote was Do-
1: National Voter Registration Day or you oh, know, right. something okay. like
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So vote.org reported an increase of 35,000 registrations following that post. Um, that's obviously worried the Republicans to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, And so they've come out and said things like she's a secret agent for the Pentagon. Uh, Fox's Jesse uh, Waters said the following, and I quote, "Um, have you ever wondered why or how she blew up like this? And and I, yes, I have actually, Jesse, and I just discovered how that happened from from Tess. Uh, He he goes on to say, well, around four years ago, the Pentagon Psychological Operations Unit floated, turning Taylor Swift into an asset during a NATO meeting. And he actually said this live on air on Fox News. Um, and Vic, uh, Rama, sorry, Vivek Ramaswamy has inferred that the Super Bowl will be rigged, uh, that her and uh, Kelsey are a contrived couple to boost the NFL slash the Democrats slash the deep state, um, and a bunch of other sort of crazy all right, things that have sort of emanated out of sort of right-wing uh, forums. Starting with this relationship she has with Kelsey, uh, Travis Kelsey, why has this sent the MAGA world into a tailspin, do you think?
1: Oh, I, they really spat the dummy about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. I, I, I think it's because on paper they should be a poster couple for conservatives, right? She's mm-hmm. a rich, you know, blonde country singer from Tennessee. He is arguably the best tight end in the NFL from Ohio. Um, I don't know second if best the after best.
0: Gronkowski, but yeah, she'll continue. Oh
1: my God. <laughs> I said this to my partner the other night about Travis Kelsey being the best tight end maybe of all time and um, my punishment for saying so was having to watch several <laughs> YouTube videos of the Gronk, several. Crushing um,
0: defences, absolutely.
1: <laughs> He's crazy. Like Travis Kelsey is nuts and the Gronk is nuts. Love They're, the Gronk. I want to hear a
0: word about him on this podcast. To continue. <laughs>
1: Um anyway, I what I was saying was on paper they should be you know, they should be out there campaigning for the Republicans, but they're not. And I think that's what's made them so mad, you know, but at the beginning of the career of Taylor's career, she um you know, they were calling her an Aryan princess, you know, it mm. was it, it it's completely flipped um and now they just don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. So they're making up cons- literal conspiracy theories and they're peddling them. Um, you know, she's she's 34 now. She doesn't, well, she does live in Nashville sometimes, but she moved away from Nashville. Her views are different. She's lived more of a life. Um, and look, they hate Kelsey because he, um, he did paid ads for Pfizer to, for the COVID vaccine. Mm. So, and that's just a huge no-no.
0: It is funny. To your point, they are like central casting out of an episode or a subplot of Friday Night Lights, and you know it's good Southern, you know, conservative Christian love. But it's for them, it's just obviously they're worried. You know, they got themselves spooked, and just the influence leading into this whole Super Bowl as well. I mean, if we, did you watch the Super Bowl?
1: I watched bits. I watched the halftime show, and I watched. Um, I went back and watched the. I watched the overtime. When, okay. when, the, when the Chiefs won, just
0: the, the the build up as a you know as the Chiefs sort of made it into the postseason and then progressed all the way through to the Super Bowl, you could just see that it was building up. This, it was going to be you know the San Francisco Forty Nine ers versus Taylor Swift, I but mean, that was almost what it was. And I was I was wondering, I had watched it at home with a group of mates and we were going to set a like a drink where time Taylor comes on the TV, but we decided not to do that because we thought we'd accidentally get absolutely wasted. But as the Chiefs began to win, we started to see Taylor on TV so much more. But the influence of her attendance at the Super Bowl had such a profound impact. Dove soap advertised at the Super Bowl for the very first time in something like 27 years or something. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed the commercials during it, but they were, you know, they were f- traditionally they're just kind of like you know, um, uh, car ads and all that kind of stuff, right? And State Farm and stuff. There was clearly a far more feminine um, tilt to the ads that we were seeing in this particular Super Bowl, which I'm assuming because so much more, so many more women were interested in this game because of. Tale simple attendance in the audience in the crowd isn't that nuts to think about?
1: It's crazy. So I think they said 123 million viewers, and I read somewhere I don't know if this is actually true. They said it was the largest TV audience since the moon landing.
0: Right. I know it was. So like, it was. The, it's the most watched Super Bowl ever. But every oh, Super Bowl sure. is With the always. moon landing. Yeah, that's crazy.
1: Um, and yeah, it's. I think it's. I mean, I think it's great. I think, you know, more women tuning into sport. Fantastic. Um, I don't know if the NFL has a women's league, but I do worry that the tide will turn. You know, Taylor is already getting yelled at at games. You know, people like they're yelling at her being you're ruining football, Taylor. It's just like, Get a grip, Gary. Like no one's taking your Budweiser's away from you. Sit down and eat your hot dog. But she's getting, I, I think I really don't want the tide to turn on her and there, for there to be too much oversaturation when it, when it comes to football because um, I think opening it up, um, you know, to have more women watching is great. So
0: the other thing that came out of this, obviously, in that sort of conservative conspiracy theory is, um, and this was from a right-wing commentator from Florida who's on Fox News every now and then. I actually didn't write her name and I forgot. Um, but she had framed the 2024 presidential election will be a contest between MAGA and the Swifties. If that was the case, I don't think that's the case, but if that was the case, who wins?
1: Great question. It is actually very funny, the parallels between Trump supporters and Taylor Swift or Swifties. Um, They both follow their leaders blindly and the first jump in to defend, defend, defend in the comments online. Um, They both speculate and make theories. They gather in groups online and in person, decked out in merch. I mean, I don't know who wins. I mean, Taylor Swift hasn't endorsed Biden yet, so um, that needs to happen, you know. Celebrity endorsements doesn't necessarily lead to winning elections. I don't know. Um,
0: they want it though. You can clearly see the Democrats. Uh, they would be there would be a lot of meetings going on right now between the DNC, um, the the Biden administration, the campaign team, and and, and Swift's team, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, she has a proven track record of getting people out to vote. You know, in twenty eighteen, she, I think. 65,000 people registered to vote after she's, she told them to. Last year, 35,000 people registered to vote. Um, you know, we know that she can get people out to vote or well, to register, but, I mean, it's one thing to influence people into wearing red lipstick and listening to music and making friendship bracelets. It's another thing entirely to influence someone to vote a particular way. Um, but I hope to hell that the Swifties win. Um I mean, time will tell.
0: Exactly. I mean, the point you make is important. It's important for us to hear in Australia. Remember that the, the the main game in US politics, campaign politics isn't persuasion. It's actually registering, registering your own people and making sure they go to the polls. That's how you win uh, elections in the US. Um, and I read today, or maybe I saw it on SM, uh, MSNBC, the state Democrats in Florida, for example, are actually organising around her three concerts that are in the state of Florida um, this year and doing voter registration drives. So they're actually linking into when she is coming to town, they're going to have thousands of volunteers outside the stadiums seeking to drive people after the concert to go register to vote. So even if there isn't some kind of coordinated public announcement from Swift, the Democrats have worked out, well, we need to be where she is because she's bringing thousands of people into these stadiums and we need to find our people and get them registered and ensure they vote uh, on election day. So, you know, I mean, it's smart campaigning. They're just leveraging off of her own you know, base, right?
1: Yeah, that is really smart organizing. Um, yeah. Her fans are women, they're young women, they're mothers. They need a plan for voting too, like, yeah, engagement with them at her her concerts. Um very smart.
0: Okay. Now we've talked about the criticism from the right. Let's talk about the criticism from the left. Uh there was an article in the New York Times during the week and I sent it to you. Um, you know, did you get a chance to read it?
1: I think so. Bits.
0: So I've broken up a number of the main points of criticism that have come from aspects within the broad left, and I just want to get your reflection on on this. The first one, which one seems to um, be the most popular of all of them, is that she's a climate criminal. (laughs) For the kilometres or miles she's racking up on her private plane jetting around the world. I'll Uh, interject
1: there and just (laughs) say...
0: Yeah. Apparently, she, she tops a list of climate celebrity, uh, celebrity climate admitters.
1: She says that she lends her jet, her plane, to other people, okay, to so other enough. celebrities.
0: Oh, that's lovely.
1: I don't think that it, that it exonerates her, but go on.
0: <laughs> and she did fly back from Japan to watch her um, yes. partner play in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Lucky for some. Um, Funny enough, our own SBS got credited in this New York Times article, um, and SBS had apparently asked in their own reporting, who's making the merchandise? Um, are the uh, workers um, doing reasonable hours and getting paid the appropriate wages? Um, does she really need to release as much merchandise as she actually is? Um, are the tickets being sold at a reasonable price? What What, what are your ref- reflections on that criticism from our good friends at SBS?
1: I mean, the answer to all those questions is no. But um, did I buy one of her T-shirts at pre-sale merch? Yes, I did. Um, look, I, I don't know. Do we really have to hang this on her?
0: Well, apparently I mean, she got, she gave her staff $100,000 bonuses last year, which totaled $55 million. So she's some degree she, putting her hands in her pocket, right?
1: She would be a good boss. And I know that she makes donations to charities as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'll have the T-shirt heiress to a t-shirt is really soft. I'll have to. I'll, when I go home. I'll go. I'll go and look up who made it. I'll try and see if it's ethically made.
0: Right. If it's Gildan, it's not. It's made in <laughs> Haiti. And the the Greens got in a, a whole world of shit when we discovered that they were, their campaign t-shirts were made by Gildan, which is all slave labor apparently in Haiti. So um, that's the that there's a no no. Um. So some, some folks were angered that she failed to condemn the actions of a previous. Boyfriend Matty Healy, who apparently is the leader of the lead singer of the band The 1975, who was filmed on stage giving a Nazi salute, never a great thing. Uh, And during interviews, he lobbed insults um, at a rapper called Ice Spice, uh, and talked about watching pornography that degraded black women. And apparently, Kelly Powell, who wrote in Salon, saying whether uh, she's dating Healy or this is another elaborate PR scheme. Um what's the story there?
1: I mean I don't think we should ask women to apologize for the actions of the men in their lives ever. And this she didn't even date him for that long. It it was honestly it it started 3 weeks later it was over. But um it's <laughs> uh another note on Swifties is her fans actually wrote her an open letter asking her not to date him and voicing all of her concerns.
0: Oh, wow. Concerns. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we already knew that he was a Nazi.
1: Letter. Yeah, yeah. They were like, don't date him. He doesn't align with your values. And they used hashtag Speak Up Now, which is a play on, um, on one of her albums, Speak Now. Um, and then so they released this open letter, her fans released an open letter calling for her to condemn him and then, you know, just like that. Um, the relationship was over before it even started. Right. It was very short-lived. I wouldn't say it was an ex-boyfriend. Um, t- Taylor Swift and I-Spice are now besties. Ice spice went with her to the Super Bowl. Um, whether or not that's a whole PR stunt, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I think it's that's baseless, right? We can't expect her. We've all dated people who mm. are questionable, right? Like, yes. give her a break.
0: Another one: Fans with disabilities have complained that Miss Miss Swift's accessible ticket sales were a mess, uh, and that her concerts didn't offer enough ADA compliance seats.
1: I would say that that's the stadium's fault, and not hers, But that's a you're, fair criticism. Yeah,
0: you're doing very well here, Tess. I like you, you. You must be in comms in your real life. This is good. You got good. <laughs> you got good. Good uh, spin here. Um, this one's weird. In, uh, critics say her affection for her two Scottish fold cats, never even heard of that breed, but, but has increased the breed's popularity, causing unscrupulous opportunities to overbreed them, which resulted in unfortunate genetic mutations.
1: Okay, let's just think about that for a second. We're blaming Taylor Swift for the downfall of an entire breed of cats. I'm, I'm not a cat person, so I just don't have any <laughs> sympathy for that.
0: Uh, Anyway, and naturally she got drawn into the whole um, Middle East conflict right now and fans were using a hashtag, Swifties for Palestine, and I've asked Ms Swift to call for an immediate ceasefire, (laughs) cut ties with Israel's companies and to publicly support Palestinians. I can tell you, look, if Taylor Swift can't bring peace to the Middle East, then no one can.
1: (laughs) Am I right? I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but my general view is that I am not looking to Taylor Swift for answers to political conflict. I don't think celebrities owe us their political views. I'm not interested in hearing about what Ariana Grande thinks of renewable energy, you know, and Swift alone can't save the world from, from the climate climate crisis. Um, no, well,
0: as the article said, the writer said, um, despite winning pretty much everything, it seems that Taylor Swift can't win. Is that a fair reflection?
1: Oh, Totally. Actually, my favourite song of hers, um, there's a lyric in it that says, people throw rocks at things that shine. So, you know, she's Time's Person of the Year. She's she's going to be criticised no matter no matter what she does.
0: Um, so we're almost at our hour and I just I now want to just move off the politics stuff and move back to more about the, you know, game day um, preparations for yourself. Obviously, you've got tickets. How did you manage to swindle tickets? How are you one of the lucky people, Tess?
1: Um, Yeah, first off, I want to say I'm really, really lucky. I tried to get tickets like everybody else last June. I was actually overseas at the time. I was in Ireland and it was 3 a.m. And uh, God bless my partner. He got up to buy the tickets. He considers himself a bit of a... Um, Ticketmaster, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get them. I'm like, oh, I just, I don't think you know what you're up against here. Mm. Um, but he he went in feeling really confident. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was three in the morning and we were somewhere in um, Kalani, I think, and um, somewhere me. in Kerry. And I kept falling back asleep. He was trying to buy them. We were unsuccessful. I think we our IP got blocked because we were actually overseas, not in Australia, but I don't know for sure. Um We missed that the next day or when they did extra tickets a couple of days later, again, up at 3am trying to get tickets, didn't get them. It it was the wild, wild worst out there. And um, I was definitely one of those people that like insufferable people that was like, I can't believe that person got tickets. They don't even even know all of her songs. Like that's crazy. They're not swifty enough. Um, But eventually an opportunity came up for us to go into a ballot to um, buy tickets and, and we got them that way. And oh, I, yeah, just just by pure luck um, I have tickets and I'm very, very grateful.
0: Fantastic. Uh, what, what night are you going?
1: I'm going Friday night. Ooh. So it's the first gig in Australia um, and it's the first gig since the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So who what knows are you what's going to happen?
0: What, what's your preparation? Talk us through your prep.
1: I have um, friendship bracelets. Mm-hmm. By the way, Lingcraft in the city, Melbourne CBD, sold out of um, beads, like beads with alphabets, yep. the alphabet letters on them. Don't try Love and it. go there. Um, good, good
0: to know. Thank you for letting f- folks know that.
1: <laughs> I've got friendship bracelets. And for bracelets. the people in
0: Sydney, people in Sydney, you need to be thinking ahead here now, right? You're going to get go Lingcraft, yeah. you got to go early.
1: Order online. Order online. Spotlight's probably out too. Um, I'm not dressing up. I know lots of people. Lots of people are dressing up as their favorite era, right? Mm-hmm. Their favorite album. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the greatest lessons from Taylor is, you know, it's okay to be just me. So yeah, I'm fine. going in my me era. Um, I won't be dressing up, but you know, I'll, I'll put some makeup on. I'll, I'll blow dry my hair. Um, and yeah, fresher bracelets little outfit, um, blasting Taylor, all of it, mm-hmm. all of it. Um, I actually know the full set list, so I know what's going to happen.
0: Okay. That was actually my next question. So she releases yeah. the, the order of the tracks that she's going to play prior to the gig. Is that right?
1: She doesn't release it. I mean, you can get them anywhere. I went to blink one eight two last night and you could get, you could find the set list online, mm. but it's so well documented on Instagram and TikTok that the full set list has been released and it's the same everywhere. So I know the set list, but I haven't actually, I've tried to avoid any footage. So I don't really know, I don't know what she's wearing. Like, I don't actually know, um, you know, whether she's singing something acoustic or whether she has dances. Um, So there will still be quite a few surprises. It goes for three and a half hours.
0: That's your money's worth, right there, isn't it? It's a very, it's, it's it's epic. It's it's Brink, Bruce Springsteen level, uh, you know, yeah. it's it's workman like, or work person, yeah. I should say, workwoman like. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's one thing. Did you know this stat? Apparently, in order for her to get fit and prepare for going on tour, she because I actually. I'm always amazed by any kind of artist that can sing and dance and do all that sort of stuff at the same time, right? Like Madonna apparently was amazing at that kind of stuff. Apparently she runs on a treadmill and sings the entire concert for three hours straight and the songs that are really upbeat, she turns the treadmill so it's she's sprinting and the songs that are a bit more sort of mellow, then she turns it down to a sort of a you know sort of a three-quarter pace uh, and does that for three hours singing at the top of her voice.
1: That's incredible. I did not know that.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the, the this is the detail that I really appreciate that goes into an artist. fantastic. Oh,
1: I, she works very hard. She works very, very hard. I mean, you can't go on stage for three and a half hours without you know some serious dedication mentally, physically.' Um, yeah, in <laughs> you're not just you're not just rocking up to to a microphone stand and and winging it, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, it's not like sort of uh, Shane McGowan got a resty soul sort of has 20 pints it up before it rocks up and you know, half cut and <laughs> sings to everyone. I think Taylor's she's like the Tom Brady of artists, the preparation, <laughs> and that is why she is the GOAT. Um, any other reflections, uh, Tess, before we wrap up and let you sort of, you know, get in the zone? You know, we're 24 hours away. This is, uh, what time does she go on?
1: I think 7.30. I think they oh, wow. try to keep it quiet. Well, a, it's a long show but uh, there's also a lot of kids going, right? So I think that she doesn't start very late. I think she runs a pretty um, tight ship.
0: Right. So it's less than 24 hours. Hyped. Love it. Any other reflections before we wrap up?
1: No, that's it. Thank you for the opportunity, Stephen. This has been fun.
0: No, thank you. I um, When I was thinking to myself, I was overseas and I was like, I want to do a podcast on I really want to do a podcast on Taylor Swift. I don't know how our listeners will feel about this, but I just think I need we need to talk about this because this is this is bigger than Ben Hur And I thought, let's do it the week before. And I thought, I wonder who I can get. And I was like, I think Tess is a massive Swifty fan. I'm just gonna check that. And you are, so I'm glad you came on. This has been a learning for me in many ways. So I appreciate it. I really hope you have a great time tomorrow night at the concert.
1: Thank you. Wait, I never asked you. Are you a Swifty? No. <laughs> No. You might become one. I'll send you some playlists.
0: Please do. Like, I, I've made a little playlist which is just all of her singles and the, not even all of the singles, actually. And I, I enjoy them, they're great. Uh, but I, I feel quite old in saying that, like some sort of grandfather. I'll bop along to a couple of them. Um, yeah, but I'm not, not by any stretch of the imagination. But I, um, I certainly identify with the enthusiasm. I have enough Vices tests, I don't need another one. <laughs> I'm literally, as we speak, trying to watch. Every single game of the Boston Celtics season, there is 82 games in the regular season, and I'm up to 54, and I've not missed a quarter. So I've uh, I'm all focused on that right now.
1: Wow, the Celtics are doing pretty well, are they not?
0: That's why I'm watching every game because I, you know, feel that this is this is the season. So uh, I am locked in, and I'm not. My eyeballs are not going to miss one 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 moment of this season. Is my oh, point. I
1: have to ask you before I go. The Dunkin' Donuts Super Bowl ad.
0: Oh, unbelievable. Loved it. Absolutely loved it.
1: I knew and, you would.
0: Oh, but I follow Dunkin' Donuts, the, the Dunkin' Instagram account, and so they've slowly been dropping this stuff in the last four weeks and it's been getting better and better and better. And when that ad dropped to the Super Bowl, I was like, that is amazing. My partner <laughs> tried to buy me. You can buy what Ben Affleck was wearing. Uh, suit? Yeah, you can buy it. It's sold out twice.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, there yeah. you go. I mean, Ben Affleck could be the new Taylor Swift S- selling out tracksuits across the globe.
0: Yeah. Oh, And if anyone who's not does know what we're talking about, just go on the Duncan Instagram account and it's all there in all its glory. And then obviously the ad was uh, released at the Super Bowl. By far the number one ad. And it, not that I'm from New yeah. England, but I'm a proud New Englander by default and I'm so proud, even though the Pats weren't in the Super Bowl, in some ways we kind of won the Super Bowl really without even playing just by that ad. <laughs> Great performance by Tom Brady and Matt Damon. Loved it. Proud of the boys. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful.
1: Typical Pat supporter, hey?
0: Yeah, that's it. That's me. (laughs) All right, I'll let you go. Good luck. Enjoy the game and uh, we look forward to talking to you. (laughs) I don't know if we'll do a post-match analysis, but uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on the show maybe even before the end of the year.
1: Sweet. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Hey there. Thanks for listening to Social Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And to get all the latest updates on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday. Socially Democratic was brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers have spent more than a century paving the hard path to justice for everyday Australians. They've helped over 500,000 Australians turn their situation around and they know how the system works. Their experience and skills means you'll get the best results possible. Find out more on their website, morrisblackburn.com.au. Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on. Social Democratic was brought to you by SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust. Lists that are up to date, phone banks that can change minds, emails that drive donations, events, that will energize the community online and offline, and text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. To find out more, go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign.